Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining uh, right now from an off-site campus or internet, chapel, warehouse. We're glad that you guys are along too. You had a good weekend? We, uh, we've had a, um, a good week uh, for our family. Uh, we added another grandchild this week, uh, number 13, for those of you who are scoring at home. Um, I'll wait on his picture and let Jason and Jenna show him to you, but uh, his name is Kingston Joseph Surratt. He's named after uh, two of his great-grandfathers uh, because uh, we're about to run out of names. And so uh, we're just doing the best, doing the best we can at that. Uh, it's great to be together, especially after a, a big win like last night. We, uh, <laughs> you knew I was going to rag somebody, didn't you? Um, how many of you have a GPS on your phone? Yeah, most of us. Most of us do. Has that not changed how you give directions to somebody? You remember how you, the old school, you know, we're talking three or four years ago. You go, okay, listen, uh, if you want to get to my house, you know, you, you go about a mile, maybe it's three quarters of a mile. Well, there's a blue house on the right-hand side. You turn there, you go three stoplights, and then you turn, you, you remember all that, right? And now all, all you do is you get an address. You put it in, and, uh, and uh, a sweet voice tells you where to go. And <laughs> that's what you need is a sweet voice telling you where to go. And so, and, and, and it works great most of the time. Has anybody had a GPS foul up at any point? Yeah. We were a few years ago when it first came out, and uh, we were going to New Orleans. And they had the National Religious Booksellers Convention. And a friend of mine had a brand new book out, and he wanted me to be there with him. And we were going to be in the area, I think it was summertime sometime. And, and so I programmed the convention center into the GPS, and it led me to a part of town that I probably should not have been in at that part, point of night. I was across the street. Actually, I was across the Mississippi River from the convention center when it said, you are here. And I thought, I'm not here. You know, I'm not here. What are we going to do? It was a little scary at the time. Well, you know what? Life's GPS sometimes guides us to places that are a little bit scary. And some of you today, or maybe in the last week or two or month or two, find yourself in a place where you feel like you're lost. Um, you, you, you ought to know where you are, but you really don't, and it's a tense place uh, it's a season of uncertainty where you feel surrounded by the unknown. Am I talking to anybody here? Maybe it's starting a new business or maybe it's a, a new status on Facebook, you know, or may, maybe it's a new place spiritually where you feel like God's guiding you, but you don't really kind of know where you are. Um, well, listen, God often brings us into those kind of places where we have to step out by faith, uh, into the unknown. And I don't know about you, but I like to cling to the known and the comfortable. I like to know where I am. I go to the same places, you know. I go to the same restaurants. I eat the same food. I just like a consistent kind of deal. And there are times that God leads us into the fresh water. We get anxious when we've got to walk to the edge of our faith. Stepping out in the unknown can be scary. Sometimes it's not because... We, you know, we feel like we can't do it or we feel like God's not there. It's just new. It's new territory and you've never done it before. Starting this church was like that for me 25 years ago. 
fact, we're going to celebrate in this series, last message of this series on the 23rd, 24th of November, that weekend, we're going to celebrate 25 years. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss the party. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but uh, 25 years ago, it was scary. I mean, it was exciting and scary at the same time. You got this vision, but what if it doesn't work? You know, never started a church before. How do you do that? Um, it's just You know, it's just a mixture of emotions. And throughout Scripture, we see people in situations like that. Men and women who are in new territory, and they encounter setbacks and roadblocks and things that require patience and community and and faith. And we're going to study some of those over the next few weeks. And we're going to talk about our church. We're going to talk about us. As you'll see in this message today, it's mostly going to be about where we are individually uh, in, in going to what's next for us. Uh, from here to there. God has a next for everybody. We're going to study some characters in the Bible. And how did they get from where they were to where God wanted them to be, the, the gap from here to there. And this week, I want to study uh, Joshua. He's one of my favorite characters, named one of my sons after him, man of faith, uh, at a very critical time in his journey. And the character trait, we're going to study a character trait every week that you need to go from here to there. Character trait for Joshua was courage. He needed courage. Why did he need courage? He'd been an assistant to the greatest leader that the world had ever known up to that point. One of the greatest leaders ever, Moses. Joshua had been his personal assistant, and now Moses is gone, and Joshua's got to step up and lead, and he needs courage. So let's read his story, and then we'll make some application into our own uh, life. Um, after the death, oh, it's uh, Joshua chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, or you can follow along in the outline sheet or on the screens. After the death of Moses, this, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead, and therefore the time has come for you to lead these people. Massive transition. How many people are there? Over two million people. How many of you know you need skills for that? Massive transition. So I want you to lead my people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River, somewhere they had never been, into a land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have already given. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all of the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all of the land that I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turn either to the right, uh, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Joshua has served in Moses' shadow 
for most of his life. He was there when God did all the stuff through Moses. He was there uh, when, when Moses was struggling or dealing with Pharaoh, going out of the promise or going out of Egypt, and, and he saw God work. He was there at the Red Sea when Moses stood at a barrier between them and where they needed to go with an army crushing them from behind, and he saw God work a miracle. He was there. He was on the mountain, the only guy on the mountain with Moses when God gave the law. He was with Moses for 40 years in the wilderness as God led Moses through. And now Moses is gone. And he's got to step over the line. God taps him to lead. He's got to step up in faith for the next season. God had a next for him. I believe that God has a next for every one of us. Some of you know what it is. Some of you don't. Some of you are in between. Some of you are on the edge of a next. Some of you have taken a step into the next, and it doesn't seem to be working well. Some of you, it's working good. But we all have a next. We all have a next. So I want to give you three things that I, uh, I think we can learn from uh, Joshua and what God's instructions were to him uh, for the next season of, uh, of his life. When God has a next for you, first of all, you need to honor the past but recognize that you can't stay there got to honor the past, but recognize that you can't stay there. The whole book of Joshua opens up with a brand new reality. God says, after the death of Moses, says to Joshua, I want you to lead. Moses is dead. This is a major national tragedy. They've been in mourning for 30 uh, days. So this isn't a, a new, when he says Moses is dead, it's not new information for Joshua, it's been going on for 30 days. They've been mourning for 30 days. But it would be like, I don't know what it would be like. It would, it would be like, you know, our country, great leader who leads us through incredible things, and all of a sudden they're gone. They're through. They're done. Major, major thing. And uh, even worse, um, they can't find his body. God had hidden it. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 6, it says the Lord buried him in the valley near Beth Por in Moab, but to this day no one knows the exact place. And so Israel's going, what are we going to do now? Moses is gone. Can we make it? What are we going to do? And we can't even find his body. Now, why do you think God hid Moses' body? Here's my theory. Because if they would have had Moses, this great revered, revered leader, probably what they would have done, they would have buried him, they would have built this great you know, temple or whatever there. It would have become a place of memory, a place of worship, not all bad, but a lot of people would never have left this place in order to go to the place that God had for them. Because our natural inclination and tendency is to hold on to the past, is to, rather than move on with the Spirit of God, the children of Israel are tempted to preserve, a for, or at least try to preserve, a former season in their life. And people often stay behind, camping on wonderful but past memories. And as a result, they tend to mess God's blessing, his next blessing that God's trying to bring into their lives. Boy, I had an example of that early on in the, in the history of this church. Just give you a little landscape of what um, the, the church community was like before, uh, before we planted Seacoast 25 years ago. It's much different than it, than it is now. It was. There were a lot of different uh, churches. There were charismatic Pentecostal churches uh, on the landscape. 
Uh, Some of you may have been raised in a church like that, like I was. Uh, You might have been raised in a charismatic church if you recommitted your life to Christ more than 10 times in a year. You know, you did. You just kept losing your salvation, and you just needed to do it. That's why we had so many revivals, is because we need to get saved over and over and over again. Or you may have been raised in a charismatic church if you complained about worship services being too short. You know, Baptists, they were too long. Charismatics, no. No, you know, it takes a while for God to move. You might have been raised in a charismatic church if you've been grazed by a banner during a worship service, you know, waving those things around and scared to death of one one time, just uh, nearly caused premature death on me. Um, You may have been raised in a charismatic church if your church's altar ministry team included catchers. Okay, you had that in the, not very many charismatics here, but you know what what I'm talking about. But in, in in the charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches, there's this wonderful expression of worship. In fact, if you go to most churches, even in the Charleston area today, you may sing the same songs that we sang together today because there's a, worship has permeated a lot of churches, and it didn't used to be that way. In fact, back during the 60s and 70s and 80s, there was this move of the Holy Spirit in worship, and, and it just was a fresh and alive thing, and it's it's, it's what's kind of spread throughout the entire church, and it came out of the charismatic churches. This wonderful uh, value of worship, and also value of the presence and power of God, the reality of the, of the power of God. So there were churches like that. There were also a lot of Baptist churches uh, here in, um, in Charleston. In fact, uh, there are actually more Baptists than there are people in South Carolina. I looked that up one time. Now, you might be a Southern Baptist, if you believe you're supposed to take a covered dish to heaven when you die. It's just it's what they do. They do covered dishes. Uh, or you might be a Southern Baptist if you clapped in church last Sunday and felt guilty about it all week long. Okay. Or you might be a Southern Baptist if you think somebody who says amen while the pastor's preaching might be a charismatic. You know, you're concerned about that. But in the Baptist churches in Charleston, they they bring the area such a strong emphasis on evangelism. Baptists always have just this this passion for the lost and also uh, the the security of salvation. I was so glad when that rubbed off of me from some of my Baptist friends. I was so afraid I was going to go to hell, you know, between getting saved that I realized that, oh, hey, God loves me and, and I'm secure in my salvation. Baptist churches brought that. Then there are Catholic or Anglican churches, what I call liturgical churches. Anybody raised in one of those? See, you might be a a liturgical uh, Christian if you recognize your neighbor or rector uh, in the local liquor store and you go over to greet them, okay? (laughs) You don't do that in a Baptist, uh, you know. Somebody, Somebody said, this is free, I didn't do this for the other services, but... Uh, so he said, this is what you need to know if you want to know world religions, that um, first of all, uh, Jews uh, don't recognize Jesus as the Son of God, and Protestants don't recognize the Pope as the Vicar of Christ, and two Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store on a, on a Saturday night. You just need to know that. And <laughs> I think that's funny. Uh, if you're a charismatic, you didn't go to the liquor store unless it was in another town where you knew nobody would recognize you. Okay. You might be an Anglican if someone says, let us pray, and you automatically drop to your knees. Or you might be, you might be a, a liturgical 
Christian, if, if uh, sharing the peace during the service actually takes more time than the sermon does, or if you're watching Star Wars, and when they say, may the force be with you, you reply, and also with you. <laughs> Did I hit close to home with some of you? But in these churches, there's this this beauty of the liturgy, even though in some the liturgy is dead. I mean, it's just dead. But at a point, there was, there was a beauty to it. And there's a mystery of the presence of, of God and the gospel. And then mainline denominations in Charleston, uh, many of them care about the poor and, and, uh, and take care of the poor. And so here's what I thought when we started Seacoast. Why can't we be or take a little bit of the best from all of them? You know, so we avoided labels, and we still do. We avoided labels from the very beginning. People would call and say, what kind of church are you? And I'd go, what kind of church are you looking for? Because <laughs> I didn't want, we didn't want the labels, you know, so, somebody's idea of what church was to label us. And it was very hard at first because it didn't look like anything that we were familiar with. And uh, there were basically three, three streams that came together in starting our church. How do you know when streams come together, it causes turbulence, Okay for a little while. And we had some turbulence for a little while. We had, we had the stream of our, our, our mother church, our founding church, was a Pentecostal charismatic church, very balanced, great worship, just a great place. And then we also had, and we had about 50 people that came from there. And then we had a smaller group that came from a, a, a Word of Faith church where they did a lot of the, they had catchers, you know, and did a lot of the, the stuff. And then uh, we, we had a, a group that came from the Episcopal Church. They got the left foot of fellowship from the Episcopal Church. And, and they came and, and they were used to the, the, the ritual, you know, and all of that. And so, as many of you know, in the first few years of our church, we didn't grow at all. I mean, we didn't grow. We, for first three years, we were less people every year than we were the year before. And year four, we started to kind of gain a little momentum. Year five, we were back to how many we had the very first day that we opened. And churches, you know, they're like that. I mean, you, you have spurts of growth, and then there'll be plateau, and maybe a little decline, and then growth, and all that. But for us, we didn't have growth at all. And it was real scary the first few months, because we're just in this vision, this is what God's next for us. And people started making appointments from each one of those groups, kind of representatives from each one of those groups. First one that came in was a representative from the, the sending church, you know. And, and he came in, and he's a real straight shooter, real direct he said, let's not beat around the bush. I don't much like, I don't, I don't like, I don't much like this church. I said, well, really? What, what do you not much like about it? He said, well, in our, in our home church, we sing I Exalt Thee every week. And we did every week. It was the anthem of our church. I don't think they do now, but they did then. And he said, we have not sang I Exalt Thee once in three months. I said, really? He said, no. He said, we're going to start singing it. And I said, well, and he left. And he, and, he, and, he, and he was sitting on a real thick wallet because he was our biggest giver. And I thought, oh, my goodness, he took the whole small group and they left. And then uh, went back to home church. And, and so then the next kind of representative that came in, they were from the, the Word of Faith church, and they said, uh, we don't much like this church. I said, well, you're not alone. There are other people that don't much like it either. But <laughs> what do you not much like about it? And they said, well, we're not doing the stuff. And I said, what stuff? Well, the catchers and all that kind of stuff. Are we going to be doing that? And I said, probably not on the weekend. And they left. And then, uh, and then a, a group from the, the Anglican church, the Episcopal church, uh, they were a lot nicer, to be honest with you. They didn't say, we don't much like this church. It was like, we were wondering. And, uh, and so <laughs> I said, what are you wondering about? Well, what about the liturgy? I couldn't spell liturgy. I, I had no idea what they were talking about. But we tried a little bit. didn't really work. They didn't really leave. 
But here's what I noticed. Here's what I noticed. Is that, is that, um, let, me, let me say it this way. There is something that I think every believer wants. Every seeker, I believe, is drawn toward. And that's the presence and the power of Jesus. I was reading a, uh, I was reading an article it was a blog post. It wasn't a Christian one. It was by Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and uh, had some interesting words in it. But uh, it, it, it had some profound truth. I, I think it was called uh, Never Listen to Your Customers. I think that's what he put, and that's what drew me to it. I thought, why, why would somebody like that say it? And the point that he was making is that when you're creating the future, you don't poll people uh, because... Uh, in, in products that are new, um, people, if you say, what do you want, they always uh, default to the past, what we had in the past. And so uh, uh, jobs at Apple probably didn't pull a lot of people about the iPad because nobody knew what it was, and yet it's become a, a great thing. And, and he said this. He said, give people what they want, not what they think they want. Because what they think they want is just a default to the past. I thought about that, and I thought about the early goings of the church. I believe every believer, I believe every individual is created with a desire for the presence of God, for the power of God, okay? But what we think we want are the kind of circumstances around that. In other words, the first guy that came in, I exalt thee. That's where he felt the presence and power of Jesus. And, and he thought he wanted the song, but it was really the presence and power of Jesus. The second one was the stuff. It was the presence and power of Jesus. And the third one was the liturgy. It was the presence and power of Jesus. But we think it is, what we think we want is, is the package around it. And the truth is, every new good idea has an expiration date, okay? If there's something at your work that just irritates you and you say, why are they doing that? Probably if you searched back, it was a great idea at some point. It's just spoiled. It's outlasted ex expiration date. And, and kind of to put it in the framework of, of this is that, is that God has a next for you. He does. He has a next for you. But if you're going to move into the next, you've got to learn to honor the past, but you can't stay there. If you stay there, what, what will happen is, is you, you'll... you'll You'll camp out on wonderful past things that God's done in your life, and you're in danger of missing God's future blessings for you. And so just like Joshua, we've got to honor the past, but, but we can't stay there because we'll miss the blessing of the new season. Here, here's the second thing I learned from Joshua. Keep moving ahead, even when you're scared. In fact, I would say especially when you're scared. In verse 3, 7, and 9, he repeats three words again and again. In fact, he does it throughout the book. He says, be strong and courageous. He said, Joshua, here's what you got to do. Be strong and courageous. And finally, he says, this is my command to you, Joshua. Not a suggestion. It's a command. You need to be strong and courageous. Why did he say that? Because Joshua was probably felt weak and scared. And God says, if you're going to move into the next for you, you got to be strong. You're going to have to be courageous. And there were reasons that Joshua was afraid. I mean, he's going to lead two million people. He hadn't done that before. He's going to go into a land they've never been into. He's going to face enemies that are stronger, bigger, well, more well-equipped, plus there will probably be internal friction, which there had been all the way through the desert. 
And he's afraid. How can I, can I do this? Israel's going, can he do this? And God says, you gotta, you gotta be strong. You gotta have courage. It's gonna take courage from God for Joshua to move forward. You know, when we read history, we forget that the heroes of history didn't know how the story was gonna end. They all looked so brave, but there was a point. They didn't know. It was a next. I don't know if I can do it. Not sure that's where Joshua was. He needed courage. I've got a definition of courage in your outline sheet. There are lots of them. This is a good one. It says, a quality of mind or spirit that enables us to meet danger, opposition, or the challenges of life with calmness and firmness. Calmness and firmness. Oppositions and challenges with calmness and firmness. See, having courage is not the absence of fear. You've heard that before. It's quite the opposite. Courage is moving ahead in spite of, even when, especially when you're in fear. See, someone who has courage may still feel afraid, but through the power of God, they can act with confidence. When you or I avoid making changes or we avoid moving forward, confronting issues in our lives because of fear, we need to remember that God has promised to go before us and to bring us through victoriously as we obey him. Joshua 1.3, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have past tense, that I've already given you. Okay, Looks like it's occupied, looks like it's going to be daunting. I've given you that. And you, if, if you'll not be afraid, if you'll go courageously, I'm going to be there with you. I'll, I'll help you. I'll help you. Fear seeks to paralyze us, to constrain us to the past, to the known, to the comfortable. It blocks our future. Um, I, I read the story of Elizabeth Elliot, who great Christian writer, speaker, and her husband, uh, Jim Elliot, was a missionary who, along with four of his friends, were, uh, were martyred. They were killed uh, trying to bring the gospel to a certain tribe in, in Ecuador, they made a movie about it. You may have seen it. But following that event, as a young uh, uh, widow, uh, she said, my life was paralyzed by fear. She said, anytime I, I went anywhere, thought about anything, especially ministry-wise, I couldn't do it because I was so afraid. Fear stopped me every time. She said she went and talked to a friend of hers that, um, that told her something that totally set her free, and it's just simple. She said this. She said, well, why don't you do it afraid? Why don't you just do it afraid? She listened. And together with uh, another widow of one of the other missionaries, she went back to Ecuador and actually shared the gospel with the very people that killed her husband. She moved into God's next for her, even though she was afraid. Isaiah 41 and verse 10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. Some of you are discouraged. God says, maybe, maybe it's because the next doesn't look quite like you thought it would. Maybe you're discouraged in your own inabilities. Maybe you're discouraged in the reaction of other people, whatever it is. And God says, don't be because I'm with you. It doesn't depend on them. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It depends on me. And I am true to my word, and I am with you. I am your God, for I will strengthen you and help you, and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. See, we think we should wait till we're not afraid to step out to what's next for us. Um, 
but if we did that, we wouldn't accomplish anything, anything for God or for the people around us. The Bible is full of men and women like Joshua who faced their fears and stepped out, and they strengthened the faith of, faith of those around them. You may be sitting right now on the edge of your promised land. It may be a new opportunity. Maybe a new business. It could be asking someone to marry you. Trust me, you'll never be ready for that. Uh, it could be beginning a workout program or going back to school or joining a small group. There's going to be fear between you and where you are and you've got to step into it. I, I face it all the time. I, I've said many times since I've been here that if I was God, I would never have picked me to be the pastor of this church. There are many times I say, God, what were you thinking? I flunked public speaking in high school. When you're looking for a pastor of a large church, that you don't, if that's on the resume, it's kind of like probably, you know, not this time, okay? I, the reason I flunked it is because I was so afraid I wouldn't even give the speeches. I'd be, I'd be home, I'd be away, I'd be sick for speech time. And, and it hasn't changed that much over time, to be honest with you. The fear is still there. I'm a little bit better at approaching the fear, but when I'm behind the curtain, I'm praying. This morning I was kneeling behind the curtains praying, Holy Spirit, if you don't show up, this is going to be really bad. This is going to be really bad. But you always show up. I know you will. Uh, there, every time we face a new obstacle in our church, which we've faced them over the years, we could just list them. There's something in my stomach that goes, oh man, do I, do I have it to lead through this? Just being transparent with you. And most of the time, it requires resources, finances, and I've got to come to you and say, you know what, God wants us to go here, but we're going to have to sacrificially give toward it. And you guys are so generous. But I've got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm afraid when I do that. I've got a friend, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a pastor the other day, and he said, they're getting ready to do a project, and I said, you've got to raise money. And he said, yeah, I love it, I love raising money. I'm thinking, what kind of freak are you? you know? <laughs> I don't, I, I just, you know, I get afraid. But you step out and you, you put one foot in front of the other. You rely on your training. One of my Marine friends who were here today who'd been in Afghanistan and, and, and Iraq, and, and he said, you know, if there's a Marine that tells you that they're not afraid going into battle, they're lying. But he said, what we tell them is rely on your training. Rely on your training. Just move it. You got to move ahead and rely on your training. So, so we move ahead in spite of of our fear. Now, there's probably a next that you're facing that's causing some fear, and you may be questioning, do I have what it takes? I want, I want you to see a story of, a, of uh, a couple in our church, John and Lori, who faced uh, just an incredible fear. diagnosed at the age of 34. Um, we had uh, two very small children at the time. Uh, she had no symptoms at all. She was in very good um, physical health. She didn't drink, she didn't smoke, and that's when she found a lump in her breast. Lori's diagnosis was extreme, it was real. It was severe, it was stage four, and it was terminal. There is no cure for stage four metastatic breast cancer. 
the scariest thing for her thing for her was dying. The only thing that she wanted to do was raise those kids. I asked her, I said, Lori, how, how do you do it? You know, what is it that you, that you tell yourself and she stopped and she looked at me and she said, you know, I just tell myself every day that I have to wake up and fight. That's the only thing that I can do. So waking up and fighting for Lori was getting up and making sure that the kids were fed and dressed and got them off to school and she would go to work. And uh, she was a very healthy eater. So there was uh, protein shakes and green smoothies made out of kale and celery. and a handful of uh, vitamins and then off for, you know, six hours of chemotherapy sometimes. And then we come right back home and pick up our kids from daycare and make dinner and give them baths and tuck them in and that was it. The next day would start. I was given another opportunity, a uh, job transfer opportunity to come to Charleston and, and we accepted it. And we thought that we were coming here because of the sun and the palm trees and the beach and a friend invited her to Seacoast said hey you need to come and, and, and just come to Seacoast and tell me what you think. Now Lori was not um, raised with any um, practicing religion. She did believe in God but it was just not a daily part of her life and I remember when Lori came home after uh, going to the first service and she had the biggest smile on her face and her eyes were just so wide she's like John you have to go and, and watch this she fell in love with Seacos and fell in love with God and understood what this all meant and she wanted to dedicate her, her life to God and loved him and believed him and trusted in him so much that she made the commitment to become baptized. So on June 23rd of 2013, Lori was baptized in the ocean at the Isle of Palms uh, beach. And it was uh, a very proud day for her and for me. Um, and from that point on, I, I really did notice a big change in her. A lot of fear and anxiety left. It was gone. Little did we know that on July 23rd, 2013, she would pass away. We spread Lori's ashes 
back out at the beach at the Isle of Palms at the same exact location that she was baptized in just a couple months earlier. About a week after that, I got a call from Lori's aunt and she said, John, did you see this picture? And what it was was, it was Lori. It was her presence. It was her there. She was there when we were spreading her ashes. There's no doubt in my mind. That picture has become very important to me and to our family and especially our children because it's one of the last images that we have, a painfully beautiful image letting us know that Lori is in heaven, she's okay, that God is real and that heaven is real and she really is there. What's next is, you know, I don't know. Sometimes you don't know where you're going in life and you have to take a look back to kind of help yourself trying to figure that out. And all I know is I'm not quite sure where I'm going, but I know that I'm on, a, on the correct path because God has chosen this path for me. He did cure her, he saved her, and because of that, I know that I will see her again. And I'm just very thankful to God for that, and I love him more today than I ever did before. What incredible courage, both Lori and John. You'd like the story to end a different way, but you know what the reality is? We all face a time when the next is not in this life, but it's in the life to come. And I love how John uh, said that God chose not to cure her, but to save her. John's not a theologian, but there's some good theology in that. In salvation, there is total healing. In fact, um, well, it's just, we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes at our response time. But John is on a journey of what's next. And he said, I don't know what it is, but I know that God is with me. I'm sure there's fear. But God is there. We all have a next that will require courage. Many of our necks won't require the type of courage that John is in. But if we're not careful, we can put more confidence in our weaknesses and in our imperfections than we do in God's ability. And God says, with our hand in his, we can do it even when we're afraid. He says, I'll be there. We're going to do this together. So when God has a next for you, first, honor the past, but don't stay there. And secondly, move ahead in spite of your fear. Let me give you one more. Encourage yourself in God's word. Encourage yourself with God's word. God makes a powerful promise in Joshua uh, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 5. I'd like us to read it together, so dry your, dry your eyes, blow your nose real quick, and let's read Joshua 1, 5 in the campuses too. Can we do that? No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Notice he says no one. I don't care how big they are. I don't care how bad their intentions are. 
I don't care how well prepared they are. I don't care how attractive they are. I don't care what they are. Nobody will be able to stand against you. Why? Because I have been there. I am giving it to you. In fact, it's a bigger border than you would have made on your own. If you'd have gone in on your own, you'd have mapped out the border by your own sufficiencies and by what you think you can do. But he said, I went in and mapped it out by my sufficiencies and what I can do through you. And what God is wanting to do with many of us is he's wanting to increase our borders. He's wanting our necks to be bigger than what we could ever ask or imagine. But it's going to take leaving the past behind. It's going to take moving ahead in spite of fear. And it's also going to take encouraging yourself in the, in the word. You've got to encourage yourself in the word. See, he says, he says, no one will stand against you because I am with you like I was with Moses. I did it for Moses, I'll do it for you. Joshua was there when God did the stuff for Moses. When he opened the Red Sea, when he, you know, when he brought uh, food where there wasn't any food in the desert, when he brought water where there wasn't water, he was there, he saw it, and he was encouraged by that, and so he was able to take a step of faith on his own. Uh, last weekend, I'll make a confession to you. Um, I wasn't here, and I wasn't at another church. I was at a football game, but I was preaching. Uh, one of my friends who's one of the coaches of the, um, ball, uh, not Baltimore, that's how old I am, Indianapolis Colts, Indianapolis Colts, asked me if, if uh, he said a few months ago, he said, biggest game of the year will be uh, Denver with Peyton coming back to Indianapolis, and sure enough, highest rated football game other than Super Bowls in 15 years. He said, would you like to do the chapel for that? I said, let me pray about it, yes. <laughs> and so what I didn't realize is that I would not be doing the chapel for Denver. I would be doing the chapel for the Colts. I am a big Denver fan. He said, he said if you wear any orange, uh, any Broncos swag, you're going to be sitting in the nosebleed section. And so I didn't. And it was an incredible experience. I was able to, to challenge the Colts players and coaches and one of my friends from Denver said, you did a little too good a job, is what I think. I don't think it had anything to do with me. Y yes, I do. I, I really do. But, <laughs> but it was an incredible experience. And one of the cool things was to be able to tour the facilities. And, and uh, we got to be on the football field. But uh, to go into the locker room where the Colts uh, on, their, on their facilities to, to see what's in there. And, and they've got a sign in there that, really struck me. I took a picture of it. I've got the words in your outline sheet, but I've got the picture on the screen. It says, courage is contagious. When a brave man makes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. But that's true. Fear is contagious, but courage is contagious. And that's why small groups are so important. Don't make the mistake of thinking you can move into what God has for you next without the support of others. It'll be a lonely ride. You can't do it. In fact, we're, we're, with the next series, we've prepared small group curriculum, and I'm kind of proud of it. I think, it's, I, I think they've done a really good job with it. I recorded a DVD a few months ago, and then we've got uh, booklets that go along with it. And this week's session is, where is here? Where is here? We're not going to go over the same things we go over on the weekend. It'll be supplemental to that. Where is here for you? And to discover that, I think you need a group. And so I want to challenge you at every campus to get one of these booklets. 
Uh, if you're in a group, I hope you'll be studying that. If you're not in a group, hey, just get two or three friends together. Get the DVD curriculum and, and go for it and take some time to figure out what's next for you. See, Joshua was there when God showed up for, for Moses. So how do you encourage yourself in the Lord? He says encourage yourself in the Lord. It gives practical advice in verse 8, and we'll close with this. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it, and only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Circle the word meditate. How do you meditate on God's word? The, the Hebrew word for meditate there is the same word that we use for chew the cud. Chew the cud. Anybody, anybody been around cows at all? Uh, we lived for eight and a half years in northern Illinois, farming community. I know cows now, okay? And cows chew the cud. What they do is they have several stomachs, and they'll, they'll chew on something that's really good, and they'll swallow it, and it'll go down into their first stomach. And then maybe a couple hours later, they'll just kind of throw up a little bit in their mouth. And, but it's good. It tastes good, and they'll chew it, and they'll try to get all of the nutrients that they can out of it, and they'll chew it maybe three or four times. That's chewing the cud. There are times I wish that we were cows, okay? One of those was Friday night this week. Some friends of ours took us out to eat, and uh, when we're done, they came with the dessert menu. And the natural... The, the, the pat answer to dessert is no. We don't need any dessert unless there's creme brulee. And if there's creme brulee, it's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, I want this for you. I would like for you to have this. And so they had creme brulee, and I said to Debbie, do you want some? She said, oh, I'll just share with you. So she got a couple of bites. And then I, I'm taking it, and at first I get big bites. And then if you, if there, are there creme brulee lovers in here? What you do with creme brulee is that the last bites are really small, and you cut them very small because you don't want the experience to end, and you go all around, you get the sugar all around the edge of it because you cannot lick the bowl in a restaurant, okay? <laughs> and Saturday, I was thinking, I wish I was a cow. I would like to just throw up just a little bit of that in my mouth <laughs> and have it taste good and just chew on it all day long to get all the nourishments that God has for me out of the creme brulee. Do you understand that? Now, some of you are grossed out, but you will not forget that illustration. How do you meditate on the Word? You take a word from God, a word from the Bible, a, a phrase, a scripture, a concept during a message like today, or maybe, maybe a friend or somebody that you don't know, two or three of them come to you at different times and say, yeah, I was praying for you, and this word came to me, and I don't know what it means, but if it means anything to you, here it is. And you take one of those things, and you, and you chew on it, and you just you continue to chew on it. And when you're driving in your car, you chew on it. Maybe, maybe the scripture is Psalm 3.3, you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. Or maybe you're walking to school and you're feeling a little nervous about the whole thing. And Philippians 4.13 says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And you're chewing on that and chewing on that. Or maybe when you're lying in your bed and you're overcome with worry of where's the next how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to supply? And Philippians 4.19 says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And you meditate on God's word. And he says, if you'll meditate on it, you will have good success. In other words, you will act wisely. So God has a next for you. Honor the past. Recognize you can't stay there. Keep moving ahead, especially when you're scared, and encourage yourself over and over and over again 
in God's word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your kingdom. I thank you for this wonderful group of people at Seacoast. God, I love being their pastor. So excited about what you're doing in all of our lives. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in the next few moments as we respond to you. As we ask ourselves the question, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Would you bring just a sense of uh, honesty, um, transparency, openness to you? In your name we pray. Amen.